0: There's this idea uh, that I've battled for many, many, many years within even in among believers. This idea that unless I'm perfect and everything aligns around me perfect, I can't lead. Like what have I got to offer? Who am I in my brokenness and sickness and sin to be able to lead others? And yes, the answer obviously is, if it depended on just you, then you are disqualified. I'm disqualified. But it doesn't depend on just me. The power of God is at work within me. And as a result, I have an anointing to lead. Uh, And so do you. Every single person in this room, I would contend is today a leader in some way you're influencing others you're impacting others you you have in some way been anointed by God to lead and no matter what the sin is in your life no matter what the brokenness is in your life no matter what your circumstances are it's not dependent on you it's dependent on the power of God that is within you to lead we live in broken times amen Do we not recognize that we live in broken times? I mean, just this past week, a couple of weeks, um, we have um, a former president who's been indicted. I don't know how many times yet. He's been indicted. He's being sued. Things are going on. Listen, I don't care where you stand politically, and he comes out and says, "I'm I'm a victim of persecution. This is a political persecution." That's going on. At the same time, same day, same day, the son of the current president of the United States is pleading not guilty for a crime in federal court or in state court. And he comes out and says, I'm a victim of political persecution. It's the right, it's the left, it's the this, it's the that. I mean, we're so broken, everybody's blaming everybody, but nobody says, hey, you know what, I screwed up. Why? Because that's not in our nature. Now, again, I don't, I'm sure somebody's right somewhere. Um, I just don't know all the time who it is and when. But I do know this, what I've been called to do is to live out the glory of God's kingdom every moment of every day. How am I going to lead in broken times? Well, it's not by allowing the brokenness of the world to get on me, but rather by allowing the power of God to work through me to touch the world around me. In the book of Timothy, we have a young man who has been Given the responsibility of leading a very important church, by the apostle Paul, Timothy. As most of you know, without going into all the background, uh, on one of his missionary journeys, Paul came to Lystra and he met Paul's uh, Timothy's mother. He heard about this young man and his grandmother. He heard about this young man. He was impressed by him, took him with him. They go out on missionary journeys. Paul trains him. He mentors him and. Now, a number of years later, Paul has sent Timothy back to this church in Ephesus, the Ephesian letter that you've read Ephesians. And, and he, he's given him the role in a broken culture, a broken city, a broken time um, to, to lead. And so God is saying to him, lead. Paul is saying to him, it's time. It's time to lead. How do we lead? Now, I, I want to just in background. We're going to look at this over the next five or six weeks um, about leading in broken times. We're going to look at the book of First Timothy and Second Timothy. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be gone the next couple of weeks. Um, you can read Second First uh, Timothy two. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to read First Timothy two and then pray for Gabriel as he preaches this passage next week um, because when i first gave it to him, he's like i don't know pastor you sure you want me to preach this passage and i'm like yes son i do uh you take the women in ministry passage out of first uh, timothy 2 and uh, preach it to the glory of god um, anyway so uh, it's going to be a, a great look at these two books of leading and broken times these three books, First and Second Timothy, Titus, are probably the last three books that, last three letters that Paul writes. He's been in prison already, probably in Rome. He's been freed. We think he's somewhere in Macedonia. We know from the letter, but these are the, probably the fir- last three letters, most likely that 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 Paul writes. So these are kind of keys to both his ideas and ministry and church life. And he's writing to Timothy to lead this church. And he's writing for a couple of different reasons. He, he's letting it. He, there, there's a false doctrine that is developed in Ephesus. We'll talk about this in just a minute more and, and in the weeks ahead. And he is giving vigorous personal opposition to this, this doctrine. And at the same time, he's saying to the church, here's... Here's, how, here's what your behavior should look like. Here's how the household of faith, here's some house rules for what the church should look like. It's not a, it's, even though it's got some stuff about church government, it's not a, uh, it's not bylaws on church government or different things. But he does give some instructions that are very important about how God's household should look. I think one of the key passages is found in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where he says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you these instructions, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. I'm probably going to get delayed. I may not even make it. I'm hoping to get there, but who knows how God's hand is going to work. But in case I don't get there, here's, here's how God's people should look in the middle of truth. What is truth? How do we hold on to the truth in the middle of a broken time? How do we lead in truth? Where does truth in our lives impact the way we live. I want to look at those things for just a moment this morning. So here, going, I'm going to read all, almost all of chapter one to you. I really want to look at this, this passage in its entirety. So the first point I think Paul is saying is this. It's guard the truth. Guard the truth. The truth is under attack. Backing up just a little bit before I read 1 Timothy Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, probably two to three years ministering on his second missionary journey in Ephesus. He stays there. He plants himself there. He teaches. For Paul to spend two or three years of time at a place signifies its importance. So things are, he's really investing in this church. Ephesus, by the way, is in what we would know today as modern day Turkey. It's on the coast. It's one of those ancient cities you can go to and visit. It's been re—no um, no new city got built over it for a number of reasons. And you can go. Kathy and I had the opportunity to go visit there a couple of years ago. Uh, it's really fun to go into ancient Ephesus and wander around. And at the very end of Paul's ministry there, he has there's a riot. Um, Paul generally does that. Uh, if he stays long enough in a place, he causes a riot. The, the, there's a princess to Diana there, and um, the, he's casting demons out of people. They're getting set free. Things are really cooking. Some great things are happening. The people who sell Diana idols uh, get really mad because they're like, he's going to take our livelihood away. This is not that sermon, but. If you want to see how people really get impacted, take their money. If you want to see the things really get stirred up, just anyway, different point. Causes a the riot, uh, they haul these people into uh, the the whole thing gets settled in um, an amphitheater that is still there. Uh, they hold concerts there. They've re- renovated it. They, the same amphitheater that Paul's. Friends and the riot got caused and is still, you can go there and and see it. So Paul has to flee Ephesus. It's not something he wanted to do, but it's time to leave. Uh, He's got to get out. And so he leaves Ephesus. Um, Eventually, he goes on another missionary journey. uh, And on his way back on this third journey that he's taken, he goes... About 50 miles from Ephesus to a town called Miletus. Uh, And he calls for the elders from the church at Ephesus to come down to meet him in Miletus. And he gives this what's called farewell address uh, that you can find in Acts chapter 20. Um, He's on his way back to Jerusalem. I I try not to get too confusing with the history, but he goes back to Jerusalem. He's going to get arrested, he's going to cause a riot in the temple, uh, get arrested. He's gonna eventually be sent back to Rome. He'll get free from Rome, end up in Macedonia where he writes the letter to Timothy. who's now back in Ephesus. But before all of that, he comes to Miletus. He calls for the Ephesian elders. He calls them down. And one of the things he says to them is, is this. This is to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves Guard the truth. Guard the truth, Ephesian elders. Now we're back four or five years later, and the wolves have come. The wolves are among the church at Ephesus. They're they're devouring. Some within their own midst have have fled, and are trying to take people with them. He's going to mention them by name. And so he's saying to Timothy, guard, guard the truth. The wolves are there. Everything he's predicted four or five years or prophesied over the Ephesian elders is coming to pass. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, he's talking to Timothy now, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now, by the way, I'm I'm not going to take all of this apart, but um, I can't think of anything more boring than myths and endless genealogies. You know, honestly, when I read genealogies in the Bibles, that's the speed reading part. Let's get back to the story. I'm skipping the genealogy part. I'm going on down to something good. But they're fascinated by these genealogies. Who did this and what and... And it's become a distraction. That's all they're focusing on. These myths and endless issues related to who. And then he goes on, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these. And turn to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not want, want, excuse me, they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinners sinful the unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers for adulterers and perverts for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me guard the truth what what's happened here well, they've gotten offline. They've gotten out of line. And I, I, I don't want to offend, really, but the same thing that take, took them offline is in danger of taking us offline. At any point, it, nothing. The, Satan doesn't fight new things. He just packages it differently. And so some of the same things they were doing, the church at times... In 21st century, both America and around the world is guilty of the same thing. Majoring on minor stuff. And Paul is saying, don't major on the minor stuff, it's just a distraction. Instead, major on the gospel. Major on the major things. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. Here's what we should be looking to. Not myths and genealogies. Here's what they kind of fell into, and I'm going to give you three broad categories. Myths and genealogies, kind of like, oh, let's dissect every little um, who who did what, where, one, how, because surely this has got something. It's, it's extra-biblical myths, genealogies that aren't important. The second thing that they emphasized was the law. They would look back, and Paul is saying the law... The law is good, but it's not for the godly. It's for the ungodly to show them where they're ungodly. Don't emphasize the law. Feast days, the law. If you want to look at this in another format, go look at the Colossian heresy and, and see some of the things that were taking place in Colossaea. So, so, for instance, there are followers. Let me just go on. I'll give you a third category. Third get category is this, special knowledge. Like special insight. We're the ones who know. We're the ones. God has revealed to us something bigger. And if you want to hang. You want to be there. You got to know this secret knowledge stuff. Now this is what is distracting them. And he's saying. Guard the truth. The gospel is so glorious. It, it outshines all of these things. But we as men. We, we still do the same stuff today. We look at different uh, myths, for instance. I'll give you a couple of stories real quick. I'm not going to name names. Uh, My staff at time encourages me to, but I'm not going to uh, because I'm I'm godly like that. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) a number of years ago, I heard a guy speak who talked about that he was speaking at one location, but his angel was representing him at another location. And he was, the, and people just went, they were just like, oh, angels, like, we're so enamored with angels at times. And, and so he was saying, yeah, I was here, but my angel was speaking at another engagement in Australia. And uh, this whole enamorment, with people loved it. They ate it up. They just followed this guy. The law we are at times fascinated with feast days Jewish customs Jewish traditions the law now I think that um, studying the feast days studying um, I love the nation of Israel I love I love all of that stuff but here's the difference following the law listen to me following the law will not get you into the favor of the Lord at a greater level. In the sense of saying feast days. Like if I do a feast day or this, I'm more spiritual. No, no, no. You're not. The the glorious gospel is this. God has done it. Anything you can do to get his favor is not godly. God's favor is on you because that's what the gospel does. It transforms you. It touches you. Now, I can... By setting the feast days, it opens up some truths about who Jesus was to me that I may not have seen. It does something for me, but it's not going to put me in a better position. I'm not more godly, and I don't have more of God's favor. Special knowledge. God revealed this to me in a dream, and I'm going to tell you about it. The other day I was watching a whole series of, you know, the, the horrible thing is you can find everything online these days everything I was watching this guy speak and he was saying that in a dream God came down and touched him here he didn't say in a dream I added the dream part he believes God touched him right here and expanded his mind and gave him knowledge into Hebrew that no one else knows that as he it's a special knowledge of the language of Hebrew and by the way um, I, 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 he made a translation of the Bible that you can go by. And I would tell you, don't. <laughs> don't. By the way, it's called the Passion Translation. And so, um, I, if you've got a pa- you're like, I got that. <laughs> anyway, he was saying God showed him a special knowledge and secrets about the language of Hebrew that nobody has ever known ever but I'm going to share it with you and I'm putting it in this Bible which you can now buy for $30.95 for $9, or whatever it is I, here's what I'm saying the gospel is so great in and of itself why why do we have to feel like to be more spiritual we have these certain because it's the nature of humanity and it's not new. it's been thousands of years that that the the enemy, from almost day one that Jesus died, this, these these things have been attacking the church and trying to get the church offline. and Paul is saying to, the, to Timothy, "Son, guard the truth. Don't let these false teachers take over. Don't let them destroy the church in Ephesus, the one that we founded and God has done great things in and is a light to the community. And do you know that Ephesus is where John's going to end up? According to tradition, it's where um, Mary ended up, the mother of Jesus. They, they, they bo- Ephesus is an important place and going to be. And Paul is trying to tell Timothy if it's going to make it, you got to guard the truth. We still love each other. Everybody good? very good? You can disagree with me. It's fine. Keep, keep your passion. Translation. <laughs> I haven't even read it, so I can't really. Um, second is this. Testify to the truth. Guard the truth, but then speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. I thank G- Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though... Paul's going to, he's not going to, Paul's not going to back down on how bad he was. Paul is going to say, here's the truth. Here's how bad I was. Here's how great the gospel is. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst testify to the truth I was Listen, I don't care if you got saved at the age of seven or eight. Whenever you became to faith in Jesus Christ, you've been transformed. Anything prior to that, you're, believe it or not, you were a blasphemer, a sinner. And, I mean, you had your own category of sinning, but you were... A, why did Christ come? To save sinners. Hallelujah, that's all of us, right? Hey, if you weren't a sinner, you didn't need Jesus. He goes on and says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever. And ever. Amen. Paul is so moved in his testimony of the gospel, he just breaks out in song. He's like TV Drew. He just can't not not sing. When he goes, every time I call TV to testify, I know I'm getting a song. Why? Because the gospel is that great. It is that good that we just have to respond in our testimony of it by, oh, now unto the king eternal immortal, invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever amen what are you testifying to? what are you testifying to in your life? are we testifying to the gospel to the good news to the truth are we speaking of a changed life? Listen, I, I, here's my contention. When the world argues theology, when the world argues culture, when people confront you, here's what you can say. I don't know. But I know this I once was blind, but now I can see. Here's what I know, because that's what the gospel has done for me. People can, they can try to argue with a changed life, but they really can't. That's the testimony of the gospel in your life, just like the blind guy who was healed by Jesus. They called him in, and they were saying, who is this guy that healed you? I don't know. What about him? Is he the Messiah? Is he this? Is he that? Is he this? Is he that? He goes, listen. He got mad at him. Saying, hey, do you guys want to follow him? They got really mad at that part. He goes, I, 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 I don't know. Here's what I know. Other day I was blind. Today, I can see. And you all know it. Because I was blind and you knew me. You saw me there blind. And now you can see that I can see. I don't know who this guy is. Listen, we've got to testify to the truth. What is your life a testimony of right now? Are we testifying to the truth? Third point, point. I've got two more, just to let you know, give you a cue up, and I'll move quicker on these two. Third point is this. Take on the responsibility that comes with truth. Take it on. How do you grow in the truth? How do you grow in your knowledge, your Ability to, well, you take on the responsibility that comes with truth. He goes on to this, says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. How would you like your name mentioned in, in, the, in the Bible for all time? Someone that Paul turned over because they've rejected their faith. Here, here's what I think Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy could have said, I, I'm not ready for this responsibility. I'm not old enough. This church is too important. It, it, it's too key. Uh, even though I've walked with you for a while, I'm not, I'm not really ready. And Paul says, Timothy... The prophecies were spoken over you. You've been with me. You know the gospel. You're ready. Go get them, son. Do what I've called you to do. Side point. We live in an age. Nobody wants responsibility. Look, I'm in my 60s. I don't really want it. It's weighty. Responsibility is tiring. It's hard and you know what we've done at times let me give you an example thanks for asking Um, when I went to college a hundred years ago I was uh, I graduated from high school in Miami Florida and I went to um, college in Shawnee nowhere Oklahoma Uh, I mean really it it could not have been a more different world 1500 miles My parents dropped me off. Uh, I I remember the day standing in my dorm room, seeing my parents. I was 17 years old when I was a freshman in college. I know, I'm a genius. Uh, I was 17. (laughs) It was just a different time. You weren't agreeing with me quick enough. So um, (laughs) 17, my parents dropped me off. They drive off. I'm standing. I know no one. Next four years, I'm fending for myself. You know, whatever grades I got, I got. How I handle finances, that was up to, that was up to me. My car broke down, it had to, I had to fix it. Anything that happened was my response. I, I mean, I talked to my parents for like 10 minutes on Sunday night at 10 p.m. How many of you know why? The long distance rates went down at 10 p.m. on Sunday night. My parents, I'd have to be right by the phone. They'd call... Ten minutes, that's it. We're not spending no more on you, son. How was your week? Everything good? You're alive? Sick? You're healthy? What's going on? Great. Great talking to you. Love you. Be a godly man. Boom. (laughs) Everything else was up to me. About six years ago, now, I went to a college orientation with my youngest daughter. They had a whole seminar A whole seminar on, hey, don't call us. The college is telling the parents, this is a seminar for parents, don't call us. We're not going to talk to you. Don't, don't, don't talk to us about your child's grades. Give it to them. I mean, it was a whole seminar on letting your child go. Why? Because You know, my parents could never go online and look at my grades. Not a thought. I mean, you could follow every single grade your child has now. You know that, right? Some of you are like, well, yeah, that's been my whole life. My parents have always checked on my grades all the time online. You know what? Is it possible that people have not taken on responsibility because we refuse to give it to them? That is good, isn't it? <laughs> they, you know, we just we we robbed them of the chance to be responsible for themselves. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, guard the truth. You're ready. Take on the responsibility of one of the most important churches in the known world. Even though you're young, I can't. I can't be there. I can't do it. I'm giving it to you. Take it back. That's what he had. It was his. And now he's given him instructions, guard the truth. Guard it. Howard Hendricks, he was talking about raising children one time. and He said, if I had to do it over again, I would do less for my kids and have them do more for themselves. And Howard Hendricks was not, he didn't raise children in the last 20 years. He, his was even older. But even now today... Giving your children more responsibility, giving the church more responsibility, giving people more responsibility, saying, You can do this. I know you can. Rick Warren, talking about his staff, said this You wouldn't be here if I didn't trust you. I and mean, then he was saying to these pastors about, he was teaching a pastor's conference about his staff. And he said, Don't make all the mistakes yourself, let your people make some of them. In other words, give them the responsibility. Of So one of my staff members one time was asking me, um, hey, h- how do you want this done? What do you want done here? And I said, um, you know what? I'd rather you just do it and then I'll tell you where you screwed up. <laughs> I was joking like, y'all didn't get that as a joke at all. I was joking um, with them to say, look, I'd, I want you to make some decisions for yourself. I don't want you to, ha- I don't want to have to tell you everything. Because it's my nature, honestly, it is my nature to just say, do this, do this, do this, do this. Rather than people taking responsibility, I'm trying to hand it off and let people do it. That's what the gospel should be doing, though. We should be handing off responsibility, taking the truth, guarding the truth, speaking the truth, and, and Jesus even said it to his followers as the father has sent me so i'm sending you i hours getting late but i mean think about it the whole mission of jesus he's only with these guys three years he teaches them he shows them he demonstrates to them, he evaluates with them. then he he's crucified rises from the dead another 40 days he's with him then he ascends to heaven and he goes go And make disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. The whole mission of God on the earth was entrusted to these people. What a responsibility of the good news of the gospel. Finally, and this is something we're going to look at in the weeks ahead, live out the truth. Live it out in your life. I'm skipping over to chapter 6, but here's what Paul says. But you, man of God, Timothy... Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you've got it. Live it. Live the truth out. Guard the truth. Testify to the truth. Give responsibilities to others around you to walk it out and You yourself live it every moment of every day. How do we lead in a broken time? All rises and falls on the truth. Are we guarding it? Are we speaking of it? Are we being responsible with it? Are we living it out? How do we make a difference in broken times? It's the truth. The gospel is more powerful. Now unto the king eternal. Immortal. Invisible. The only wise God. Be power and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to speak the truth together right now as a church. We do this on a monthly basis. It's one of the earliest confessions of the church. It's called the Apostles' Creed, and it gives us an opportunity to speak the truth, and then we're going to close by worshiping God through the singing of this truth. So stand up with me, and let's, you know what I love about this church when we do the Apostles' Creed? This is not just a mumbly thing. We proclaim it with life because this is who we are. This is what we believe. Church, declare it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship together.